Hello, hello, Pyromaniac fans. I am the Heartbeat, and this is the Pyro Pulse Podcast. This is going to be episode number 10, and in this episode, it will be the second part of our Draft Primer series. In this episode, we will be going over how to understand changes in opportunity. So I did a little, a little bit of light research, and since the Super Bowl... On February 5th of this year, so starting on February 6th, there have been 687 different transactions made in the NFL. And if you, if you try to take a brief average, that's 21 transactions per team. So what we remember and what we love about the NFL, everything has changed. And this episode, we're going to go over how to optimize that in your fantasy football season. We are recording this episode of the Pulse podcast on August 20th. And uh, for a little timeline, it is, uh, we're wrapping up preseason week two. Uh, currently, the New Orleans Saints and LA Chargers are in the middle of a game. And we just have the New York Giants and the Cleveland Browns tomorrow. And that'll, that'll wrap up preseason week two. Uh, in the next episode, we're going to be going over how to analyze the preseason, so we'll save that for tomorrow. For now, we're looking at understanding opportunity. So like I said, the 687 transactional changes in the NFL have a drastic impact, and we as fantasy analysts are rushing to try to stay up with the data. Unfortunately, we aren't always capable of doing that or capable of doing that at a high rate. So I think the easiest thing to do is to dial it back and dumb it down a little. So let's look at on an individual team. So for the offensive side, because we're not going to look at defensive or IDP players on the offensive side of the ball. Let's look at what different teams are doing. So when you look at the quarterback position, there are really two different types of quarterbacks in the NFL. There are the dual threat quarterbacks. So a guy like Tyrod Taylor or Cam Newton, who do most of their work through the air, but also have that added dimension of the running game so they could take off for first downs, and they typically do this maybe five to ten times per game. And then you have the pocket passers, the Bradys and the Rogerses, who like to sit in the pocket and make plays from there rather than going out on the ground. These two types of quarterbacks have pretty different impacts on the fantasy world because, as you know, the quarterback passing yards are a little bit deflated in comparison to all other stat metrics. Typically, they're 25 yards per point, whereas rushing is only 10 yards per point. So to get one point in fantasy football, it is significantly easier to run for 10 yards than it is to pass for 25 yards. And that's just based on the amount of times that that happens over an NFL season. When you're deciding which quarterback you want to go with, this is an important decision. One thing that you need to take into account is what are their passing options. For a pocket passer, you have to rely a little bit on who they're passing the ball to. So somebody like Tom Brady this year with a Rob Gronkowski, a Brandon Cooks, a Julian Edelman, they're going to have better figures at the end of the year than a guy like, say, Joe Flacco, who has kind of middle-of-the-road targets, like nothing that really, no transcend, transcendental targets on the offense. So that's something you definitely have to pay attention to. 
But when it all comes down to it, a quarterback is the most important player on the football field, and they're going to dictate most of the game. So a good quarterback is typically going to be good. A bad quarterback is going to be bad, an average quarterback, blah, blah, blah. So let's look at the running back landscape. So we have feature running backs, but they're really the last of a dying breed. We really only see Le'Veon Bell... David Johnson, maybe LaShawn McCoy. Those are really the big three that do it all these days. And Ezekiel Elliott is counted in this as well. He's a good pass catcher, not great. But due to the six-game suspension, I'm going to be kind of fading him from the podcast right now. So the feature backs are the guys that can go in there. They can run. They can catch. They can really do anything. They can play every single down. And they can they won't be coming off the field. And that's where their true value lies. And now you have the one-cut running backs, which really think about Alfred Morris and his Washington Redskins games. He's guy that goes to the line, he takes one cut, and he's off to the races. But he can't really do much else if there's no lane there for him. So those are the early down backs. Those are guys that you want 175 to 200 carries from on the season. And those are pretty prevalent in the NFL these days. There are a lot of them. And you also have the scat backs. These are your third down backs, your Chris Thompson, James White, Ty Montgomery I'd put in there, but we'll see what his actual workload is. But these are the guys who are much better in space. They can create uh, yards. They can get yards after contact, yards after the catch. They can re- they're really electric in space. And one thing I saw was Tariq Cohen really looked electric in his preseason game too. So he's somebody who lies in this. But these guys are going to have limited work but they're going to be more efficient with their work. Think Jalen Richard. And then you have their plotters. These are the guys who come in, and they're really only looking to get the three yards. They're going to come in, they're going to run straight, they're going to get what the defense gives them, and that's really all they can do. Think of, like, a Rob Kelly. Obviously, the featured backs are more valuable. You want to load up on featured backs as much as you can. But these other running backs are also very valuable when you look into game script. So if a team is in line in Vegas implied totals, if they're in line to win by more than six points, you take your one cut and your plotter backs and you elevate their ranking. On the flip side, if a team's looking to be down, you take the scat backs, you elevate their ranking. So this, as you know, fantasy football is a weekly game. So you have to keep this in mind and play for the weekly rankings. It's not just a do your draft, set it, and forget it. But let's focus on the draft. Now, we talked about the different types of running backs, and I want to make reference to a 1984 book by Paul Zimmerman, one of the the great guys over at Sports Illustrated, and it's called New Thinking Man's Guide to Professional Football. In this book, he said, and I'm going to be paraphrasing this. I'm not going to be stating exact facts. He said, running back is a position governed by instinct. And the great ones usually run with their feet close to the ground. Sayers, Brown, Jimmy Taylor, Perry, they all did it. He goes on to assert for running backs that speed is overrated. The actual mechanism of carrying the football slows people down. Pure track athletes who pop up in the pro football drafts come as wide receivers and occasionally as defensive backs, but seldom running backs. I believe this statement is still true. 
I believe the most important aspect of being a running back is your vision and your ability to enact on what you see. So your ability to, for your body to have the muscle memory to do what it's supposed to to hit the hole that they see. One thing, one player that really comes to mind is Ty Montgomery. In the offseason, you've seen him working with the speed king, the footwork king. He's really quick. He has great feet. He's an he's a ex-wide receiver, converted wide receiver, so he can catch the ball. Everything looks great. But I still think it's going to take two or three years for his body to process, for his muscles to build up for this new position, and to get that muscle memory to be able to see a hole and to hit it immediately. So you think of these guys that have been playing running back for their whole life. I think that's really valuable. And that's why Ty Montgomery is really the only player who converted to a running back that we see in today's NFL lanes. So to sum it all up for running backs, I think running back is a position similar to a center or I mean a a goalie in hockey. Many people believe that for goalies in hockey, if you don't start playing goalie by age 8 to 10, you have absolutely no chance of playing goalie in the NHL. I think this is similar to running back because I think you need to have multiple years of experience playing the running back position and, you know, experiencing all of the different aspects of the football game from that position in order to succeed at the highest level. And with that being said, I want to pivot over to wide receivers because unlike the running back position, wide receivers are usually better pure athletes, but their production is very, very closely tied to the quarterback position. So I want to turn to a book by Jay Norville, who has been a wide receivers coach in college for a very long time. He's, he's bounced around, but we can basically say we, he knows his stuff when it comes to wide receivers. He's taught at very high-level programs in college. And he has six main characteristics of a successful wide receiver And they are the following. One, the ability to avoid obstacles and move his body in space. Number two is strength. Number three is having sure soft hands, especially the ability to catch the ball in crowded situations. Number four is great focus. Number five is the ability to find open spaces And number six is speed and acceleration. I really noticed that speed and acceleration are last because we think of a guy who produces at the NFL level and one that comes to mind that does not have that speed or acceleration, Anquan Bolden. He scored eight touchdowns last year at the wide receiver position with basically no speed and or acceleration. And as we said, it's also tied in to the level of quarterback play and the style of quarterback play. When it comes to wide receivers, we typically look for that tall, prototypical wide receiver who's around 6'2", 6'3", or above, 215 pounds. What is it? The 4'5", is really the benchmark. And then we, we use the eye test to see how good they are at, at adapting to the ball and moving in space. But nowadays, we've really seen a new phylum come and take over the NFL, that Antonio Brown phylum, as Christopher Harris likes to call it. The under six foot guys that are utilizing their quickness and their hand-eye coordination to their benefit, and they're really making splashes and explosion play, explosive plays. 
think Odell Beckham Jr. And I want to use this to pivot over to the fantasy aspect. Because quarterback play is at an all-time high across the league, we have record numbers of 4,000 and 5,000-yard passers. We've seen in the last 10 years 50 touchdowns thrown on multiple occasions. I mean, wide receivers are greatly benefiting from this great quarterback play that we've seen of recent. And I'm actually a proponent of taking a wide receiver with that first-round pick. Because if you look over the last six years, wide receivers taken in the first round have averaged more fantasy points than running backs. In a blanket statement, when you take out any sort of uh, adjustment or advanced stats, they have averaged more points, and it's a safer bet because the wide receivers, they get injured significantly less and they have less damage done to their body. And in a dynasty sense, they, they seem to last a lot longer. They seem to last... 10 to 12 years rather than the typical lifespan of a running back, which is about really one contract, so three, four, five years. But what's so difficult to project about wide receivers in fantasy is there are so many of them. There are so many teams that are running three wide receiver sets, which basically means there are three wide receivers, there could be a tight end, and there's a, usually a running back or two in there. So there, there are usually four or five options on a given pass play. And wide receivers are usually getting a, 10 targets for a wide receiver is a lot. So we're not getting the volume that we're getting at the running back position. So let's look at the different types of wide receivers. You have three different real types of wide receivers. You have the X, you have the Z, and you have the slot receiver or the Y receiver. The X receiver is the guy who's split out. He's usually on an island. He's somebody who can create for himself. Think Julio Jones. And these guys thrive in that situation because on that island, they're usually in man-to-man coverage, and they usually have a defining characteristic that makes them stand out. Like Julio is tall, he's 6'4", and he's extremely fast. He's basically the prototypical wide receiver, the ideal wide receiver that you would create if you were to go into a lab and create a wide receiver. Then you look at the Z receivers. These are usually flankers. Typically, they'll play on the same side as a tight end, and they'll be off the line. So they'll have a little bit more room in case a cornerback wants to come up and jam them. These guys are usually a little more scheme-dependent, and these are the guys that you're going to want to pay attention to Vegas odds for how they'll do, along with their cornerback matchup, which is something we'll get into a little bit later. But these guys are usually a little more dependent on the scenario. And then you have the slot receivers, where we've seen two different types of slots. You've seen the Marcus Colston, so the big slot who will kind of go up and get passes, who really acts as a tight end. And you see the Jameson Crowder type, the little quick guys who get out in space, and they can create separation from that inside position and work with it. And there is really no right answer in fantasy as to what type of wide receiver is best. As we've seen, Antonio Brown, one of these smaller guys, has led the league in fantasy points for almost the last four years. I think he finished, depending on format, third last year and first the last three years prior to that. So there is no right answer, but you want to get that physical ability, the wide receiver with a physical ability that really stands out, a transcendental talent with a good, solid quarterback on a team that passes a lot. So that's what you're aiming for with your early wide receivers. 
And then as it gets down the list, you can filter them out to say, oh, he plays for Drew Brees. He's going to be great no matter what, like a Ted Ginn or a Willie Sneed. We just assume in that type of offense that they're going to get work. And we're not going to dive into the quarterbacks or the tight ends, really, because those are more traditional positions. Those are tight ends are either blockers or pass catchers. When they're pass catchers, they're essentially wide receivers. So what I like to do when analyzing changes in opportunity is I like to take these running back positions and these wide receiver positions, and I like to look at a team, and I like to see where, do e- where does each player fit in this. And there's, is there a potential for this guy to fill a role that wasn't previously filled on that team? So for this, I advise you to do this for every, all 32 teams to get a big landscape and see, but let's, let's dive in on the Cardinals for now. So you start at Carson Palmer. He's a a pocket passer, so he's going to be a guy. You're not going to get much on the ground from him, if anything. So you really have to depend on the passing game. You're really going to want games with high implied point totals when it comes to Vegas. If you're going to play a guy like Carson Palmer, who's not an every-week starter, he's really a good streaming quarterback, and that's about it. When you look at their running back position, we're going to look at this in two ways. David Johnson is the feature back. David Johnson can play on every down. He showed it last year as he put up the most fantasy points that we've seen from a running back since probably LaDainian Tomlinson. But if he were to get injured, if he were to go down, you kind of have the same situation where you have that one-cut running back in Chris Johnson— And then you have the scat back in either Kerwin Williams or Andre Ellington, whoever wins that job. So if David Johnson were to go down, and this is the second straight podcast where I've talked about David Johnson going down, I really hope that doesn't happen. But if he were, if you look at his backups, that's what you're looking for. So you have the one-cut running back, Chris Johnson, who you will use in positive game scripts, and Andre Ellington or Kerwin Williams for negative game scripts. When you look at their wide receivers, Larry Fitzgerald really stands out. He is their X receiver. He is their possession receiver who can do it all on an island. And I know Bruce Arians moved him into the slot, so he's more of that Marquise Colston, but they play a lot more two wide receiver sets, so I'm going to call him an X and we're going to say they have no slot for the purpose of this activity. Their Z-wide receiver, that's still up in the air because you guys know John Brown is dealing with medical issues. And they really have a, a wide receiver battle between J.J. Nelson and Jerron Brown, which I believe they said Jerron Brown is winning as of lately. But you look at that position, and that's going to be the field stretcher. That's going to be the deep threat guy. So I'm favoring J.J. Nelson for that because he does have great deep speed. So I believe J.J. Nelson will be their Z receiver, their deep threat. And I believe he's an interesting weekly streaming type of play or DFS play because he has the ability to go in there and have some big games, have a couple long touchdown catches. And that's really where that opportunity lies. If they had a great tight end, we would talk about that. But Jermaine Gresham is, he's kind of a jag. So he's not really somebody you want unless it's a late, super deep draft. And John Brown is the other interesting character because if he does get healthy, he could play a really big role in that offense as their Z receiver. But that's really how the Arizona Cardinals break down. 
I suggest that you go out and do this for every single team. You go out and see who is their deep passer or who is their deep receiver. Like, who could be their deep play threat? Um, when you look at this, say for the, the Rams before they got Sammy Watkins, you would think, who is their deep play threat? Because that is a role that could be filled if Jared Goff takes the next step. Again, go out, do this on your own for every single team, and you have, have a much more clear idea of what these teams are going to do rather than just looking at your draft and seeing, oh, he's wide receiver number 34. He should have a pretty good year. Because, as I said, fantasy football is a weekly game. We have to think, how will these offensive coordinators game plan for this week? And we have to view fantasy with that in light. And I want to close out this podcast by doing a little activity that I did with my ADP return on value for the first eight rounds in collecting wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, and tight ends in the optimal lineup. So what I found is that the running back position has a pretty clear drop-off after the third round. A third-round running back will average 135 standard fantasy points per game, or per season. Whereas the fourth-round running back jumps down to 118, the fifth round falls down to 90, and then you see a little turn up in the sixth round back up to 120. The wide receiver position works almost opposite of that. Wide receiver, as I said, the first round wide receiver does score on average more points than a running back. So in the optimal lineup, you do go wide receiver in the first round, and you're looking at the Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, Julio Jones. Those are who you want to key in for first-round wide receivers. Then in the second round, you see guys who typically score around 160 points, so that's 10 standard points per game. And then in the third round, you see 135. And just for reference, this compares to 162 and 136, respectively, for uh, wide receivers. So I'm keying in on running backs in round two. So you're looking at Todd Gurley, Jordan Howard, J.J., you want to grab one of those guys. And then in round three, you're looking at running backs again. So you're looking at the Isaiah Crowells, the Carlos Hydes, the Lamar Millers, and a lot of fantasy analysts are out there saying this is a running back dead zone, but it's not. In the fourth round, this kind of caught me by surprise, but the fourth round is the third highest round for tight ends. They average 136, and that's actually higher than running backs and wide receivers in the fourth round by about 20 fantasy points. So that's really the optimal spot to take your tight end. In the fourth round, you're looking at the Greg Olsons and Jordan Reeds. In the fifth and sixth rounds, you want to go back and you want to get that depth at wide receiver as they're averaging 125 points in both of those rounds, so respectively 125 points each, compared to 90 for running backs and 120 in round six. So 90 was round five. Round seven, you want to grab that depth at running back. So we're looking at guys, I mean, it really depends on the draft, but I'm going to key in on like a Frank Gore and a Kareem Hunt. So you have the old consistent guy, and you have the up-and-coming up, up and coming prospect. 
And then you want to go quarterback in round eight. I found that this is the optimal time to take a quarterback because they're averaging 320 points per game. So over 20 or 300 points per season. I messed that up again. And over 20 points per game. Whereas the next time or the prior to that, you're only seeing 20 points per game up to round five. But you, you really see when you take a quarterback before round five. So you're talking about Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson, or higher. You really see a drop-off at the other positions. So round eight is the optimal time to take a quarterback, especially because when round nine comes around, they're dropping by 30 points over the season and about two points per game. But so to recap, round one, go wide receiver. Round two and three, you're looking running back. Round four, you're looking tight end. Round five and six, you're going back to that wide receiver well. In round seven, you're adding that third running back. And round eight, you're getting your quarterback. And that is going to do it for this mini-sode, episode 10 of the Pulse podcast, Understanding Changes in Opportunity. I hope this provided you with a little break from your Monday. So you could uh, think about fantasy football instead of work for, yeah, no, just for a little bit. Nothing, nothing too serious. But also, I urge you to go back and listen to the first episode of this primer, if you haven't, which is all of my favorite resources for setting yourself up for a great draft. And stay tuned, because tomorrow we're going to be going over how to analyze preseason data, and how to use that going into your draft. If anybody is drafting prior to the episode tomorrow, good luck. I hope you all, if you had drafts over the weekend, I hope you guys crushed it. I know you did. But stay tuned for this next week of draft primers.